0: morning, our message comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. We are the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the sheep of his pasture. The Bible tells us that the church is missional. It goes out into its communities proclaiming Christ crucified. The Bible tells us that the church is relational, that She forms relationships with people from all walks of life, no matter the path that they are on, that Christ crucified might be proclaimed through those relationships. As we look at how God uses the church and his mission to bring about his kingdom, we begin to realize something else about God's mission here on earth, and we'll pick up with that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Ephesians 1 3 to 10, we read the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, Karen read the scripture passage from Mark 2 about the healing of the paralytic man. Now, Jesus did a lot of miracles, and and many of them are recorded in in the gospel accounts. So what is is special about this one? What makes this one stand out from the others? So Jesus is teaching, and I mean, he's... uh, He's a well-known teacher. People have started to follow him. He's, he's starting to generate crowds. And so he's, he's teaching in this house, and it is packed. Standing room only. You, you can't get in. So there's, there's people that are just like, they're just all around Jesus. He's, he's standing in like the corner of the room, and, and, and people are all, the house is full. There's people standing outside, outside the windows, trying to hear what's going on. And there's these four friends. Right? There's these four friends. And they know that Jesus can do miracles. They know that, that he has healing power, that, that he has healed the lame, he's healed the sick, he's healed the blind. And they say, man, we've got this friend of ours who's a paralytic. He can't walk. We've got to figure out how we can bring him to Jesus, how we can bring him before Jesus. But we can't get him in there. He's on a stretcher, right? There's, there's four of us. And there's no way we're going to have the ability to get him in there. There's just, there's no room. We can't do it. We're not going to be able to do this. So how are we going to do it? What are we going to do? How are we going to be able to bring our friend to Jesus that he might heal, that he might be healed, that Jesus might heal him? So they come up with a a pretty bold plan. They get up on the roof and they take out their saws and, and they cut a hole in the roof. Now, I... I don't know who owned the house, but I mean, I, I can't imagine they were thrilled with exactly how this was going. They cut a hole, and then they, they mission impossible the, uh, the, the, the paralytic man down. You know what I mean? When I say, like, we've seen the movie Mission Impossible where, where Tom Cruise has to, like, get into this room that's, like, unbreakable. And so they, like, lower him in and, like, if he touches the ground or anything, it's going to set off a bunch of alarms. He's got to steal in and, and take this information. So they lower him from the ceiling and he's, like, all, like, spread out. They, they Mission Impossible this, this paralytic man into the house, these, these four friends. They bring him before Jesus. They go to great lengths. They go to extremes. They cut a hole in the house to bring their friend before the one that they knew could heal him, before his hope. The friends of the paralytic man were incredibly determined to introduce their friend to Jesus, believing that Jesus could cure what ailed him. They went what many would consider above and beyond they were intentional this was something that they believed could change this man's life for the better so they didn't take no for an answer they brought their friend to Jesus to the savior to the great healer do we do this with our friends? are we that determined? are we that intentional? are we intentional at all? Do we just wait for opportunities to fall into our laps, to fall into our desired or comfortable parameters so that we can feel safe in proclaiming God's truth to a lost and, and dying world? Do we say to ourselves, well, God knows I'm not comfortable with confrontation and this, this friend of mine is totally a confrontational person, so there's no way that God wants me to talk to them. Someone else is, is going to have to sow that seed. Or do we say, I'm just gonna keep going about my business. If someone else asks me about my faith, then great, but, but I'm not gonna push it on anyone. I'm not gonna go out of my way to, to set up situations where that could be the result of conversation because these things need to happen organically. You know, they, they can't be forced. We just read a story, a true story, a story that took place in the Bible so we know it's real about guys who lowered their friend through the roof so that he could meet Jesus. What do we mean these things can't be forced? Understanding the context and the situation is incredibly important. So there are times to move carefully, cautiously, and with wisdom, but there are also times to move forward with boldness, with purpose, with intent. God has called us to be intentional. Added to that, your fellow Christians, your fellow members of the body may be counting on you. You may be able to reach someone that, that they cannot. So how do we, how do we typically like move forward in action? How does that, how does that usually uh, represent itself? How, how do we usually see that manifested? in the in the social media world that we live in the, the the typical response is thoughts and prayers right thoughts and prayers out about this man this is a this is a thing i mean, i remember i remember when uh, when uh, the the bombings and stuff some some bombings happened in in france and so our response was on, on all of like the social media outlets that we had um, we we'd put like the the french flag over our, over our faces, over our profile pictures, and it was man thoughts and prayers up to France. It's terrible. It's horrible. And this has become like a, a fairly regular response for, for people. Thoughts and prayers, man. I'm thinking about this, and, and I'm praying about it. And, and and that's kind of that's kind of what's going on here. That this this is my response in, in a social media world, in a in a social media context. This is how I'm going to deal with this particular situation, thoughts and prayers up. Now, I understand why thoughts and prayers gets a bit of a bad rap, because man, it does. We get mocked for thoughts and prayers. Social media has, has spawned a culture where we get alarmed and up in arms and united together on the internet, and then it just stays there, right? Right? It stays in our, our Twitter feeds, our Snapchat stories, our Instagram posts, and our Facebook pages. and doesn't actually affect change in our lives, or the lives of those that, that we're interacting with. In my experience, Thoughts and Prayers is mocked because people desire you to change deep-rooted political stances or religious beliefs, which, let's be honest, isn't likely to happen during an argument on social media Regardless of how terrible the incident we are thinking about or praying over is. Now, I also struggle with the frustration over thoughts and prayers because I know that prayer is powerful and effective, as we read in James 5, verse 16. And sometimes that's that's all I'm going to be able to do in a situation. I may not have the time or finances to go clean up Houston after Hurricane Harvey. Right? I don't have the ability to have any effect whatsoever on the terrorist attacks that took place in France a few years ago. So while thoughts really don't do much but affect my mindset, I know that prayers are effective and a way to help out those in need. But praying can, in some ways, be a double edged sword. We're encouraged to pray. I encourage you to pray but often prayer becomes something that we hide behind feeling that it excuses us from action but think of it this way what if you are the one called to action in response to somebody else's prayer what if you are the one called to action in response to somebody else's prayer I've got family, we've, we've all got family, and, and not all of my family's Christian, right? Not all of my family has a living, active relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And I've, I've talked to members of my family about this, and I don't know if I'm just too close to it or what, but there's this, this barrier. It's like I know that this is where you're coming from, and I know what's going on, and I am just unwilling to, to listen to what you have to say on this particular topic. I pray for them, absolutely, but but interacting with them is it's not been fruitful to this point in time. In many ways, I, I think that I'm just maybe a little too close, I'm a little too close to it. I, I don't know. I don't know why God hasn't been working through my relationship with, with some of my family members. But I know that sometimes it it works better if it's not somebody within the family that that is the witness that goes forward that that presents truth i know of situations where a family was praying for a family member call it uncle right praying praying for uncle again and again and nothing years of nothing continuing to pray but but uncle's Just not willing to have the conversation, not willing to talk about it, not willing to to budge. Blocked off, has the walls up. And then, just through random interaction with another person, questions arise. Another Christian is able to step in and do what I am unable to do, what I have been prevented from doing one way or another. I needed that other person to be called to action on behalf of my uncle. He wasn't hearing from me. He wasn't hearing from me. So while praying is acting with intent, it does not at the same time excuse us from acting with intent. Pray. By all means, pray, wear the knees out on your pants, bringing people and situations before the Lord. The power and necessity of prayer cannot be overstated. God answers prayer. He blesses us through prayer. He moves in response to prayer. Please, for the sake of the loss, for the sake of this church, for the sake of the church universal, and for the sake of your own spiritual walk, be a prayer warrior. Just don't hide behind prayer. That's not why God gave it to us. It's a wonderful tool. It's a tool that we've been given and we should use it as often as we are able for the purpose that it has been given to us. But that purpose is not to act as a wall to hide behind so that we can absolve ourselves from being part of the church and from intentionally proclaiming the gospel to a broken and needy world. As we've been working through what God has called us to, to be missional, to go out and act as if we are missionaries wherever we are, wherever God has has planted us, and and how God has called us to be relational, to make friends with those whose lifestyles may make us a little uncomfortable, to invite into our lives those that stretch us by how they live, we begin to see the underlying motor behind all of this. It's intent. It's intention. We are called to live lives that are intentionally missional. We are called to live lives that are intentionally relational. God is calling us to be intentional. And in that, we come up against many of the same struggles we've talked about before, right? The fears are similar. The reasons we aren't intentionally missional are close relatives to the reasons that we aren't intentionally relational. And these reasons all tie back to one big roadblock fear. Fear of rejection, fear of ridicule, fear of temptation. Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of risk. So many fears. So many opportunities to feel inadequate. If you're feeling this fear, if we relate to the feeling of inadequacy as we think of being missional, relational, and intentional, man, I have some good news. Our passage today speaks right into these fears. For not only has God called us to be intentional, he is intentional. Verses three to six from our passage today, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in that beloved. God has chosen us. He has chosen you intentionally. You're not here by accident. You're not an heir with Christ by accident. God chose you intentionally. We all remember, you know, being on the playground. Recess was, man, I I love recess because I didn't have to be in school. But at the same time, I did not like recess. Because often what we would do is, you know, we would play a game, whether it be baseball or football or whatever, and, and we'd get out in the field and all the boys in our grade would just kind of like line up. And we'd choose two captains. Usually they were the, the two popular kids. So, so they would go up and they would be the captains. And I mean, you know the story. You go down and, and everyone picks a, picks a player and then, and then it goes to the end, right? I hated that. I hated that. I was really short. I was really small. I mean, I'm not a big guy now, but I was really small. I was like 4'11 my freshman year. Like I was... I was not a big guy, and, and I always, man, I hated it, because I, I always got picked last. And I, I wasn't so concerned about being picked first. I just really didn't want to be picked last. Because if I got picked last, then it, it felt like I didn't matter, right? It felt like I was just the leftover. It felt like since I was there, I had to be chosen for a team, I had to be picked. Like, that's just part of the rules. And so being picked last was just the worst. Because it felt like I wasn't wanted. It felt like I was just the leftover. And sometimes that's kind of how we feel. We feel like we're just the leftover. We feel like we're not really wanted. But our verses speak right into that today. God chose you. He chose all of us. He doesn't feel stuck with any of us. He chose us individually. He chose each of us. There are no weak links on His team. We all come with baggage, but we also all come with God given gifts. God Chose you. He was intentionally pursuing you. Whether you have never known a time when you didn't have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, or if your faith was given to you later on in life, God chose you. He worked intentionally in your life because He wants you, because He loves you, He wants to spend eternity with you in heaven. But while we're here on this earth, he wants to partner with you in his ministry to reach out to others that he is intentionally pursuing, that they might believe in him and enter into that relationship also, even though we have fears, even though we feel afraid, even though we struggle and are held back by our sin, even though we don't feel qualified, God intentionally worked in our lives. He knows what we are. He knows what we've done. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've thought. He knows. He knows. And still, in spite of all that, he has worked intentionally in our lives. He has chosen us. He has adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ. And as our verses say, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God has lavished upon us the riches of His grace. And He did it in all wisdom and insight. God has forgiven us our sins and shortcomings. All those things that would seem to disqualify us from being used in God's mission, yeah, yeah, He forgave them by lavishly applying grace lavishly. Do we know what that word means? It means he gave it extravagantly, in abundance. You want a great definition of lavish? Hand a child a bottle of ketchup or maybe some syrup. The mound of ketchup is is higher than, than the fries. At least it is in our house. If I give Caleb in particular uh, a bottle of ketchup. It's just, it's like, whoa. Lavishly applying, lavishly. Caked on in abundance. That is the grace that He has bestowed upon us. God's interests are not divided here, He is incredibly intentional. In verse 9 making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. His will, his purpose, his intent. There are no accidental Christians. Nobody is a Christian by accident. God has worked intentionally in your life and God is still working intentionally in your life. We don't become Christians and then reach the peak, right? It's not like once we've come to saving faith, God is done with us and we go into some back room where he stores all his victories. We're not some trophy on the shelf or or mounted on the wall to tell of God's past conquests and now sit collecting dust. No. No. No, God desires to use each of us, to work through each of us, to utilize the gifts that he has given each of us, that through us he might bring about his kingdom, that through us the church might grow, that through us more people might come to faith, that through us more people might trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and be drawn into relationship with him. God moves intentionally. He does not make mistakes. You are not a mistake. Rest in that. Rest in the intentional purpose, will, and action of our God and Father. Amen.